This is the Raising Athletes podcast, season three, episode 31, with James Lowe, coach ballgame. Hi. This is, I'm, <laughs> Once you know it's for real, you're like, <laughs> okay. Hi, I'm Kirsten Jones. And I'm Susie Walton. And this is our podcast, hashtag Raising Athletes with Kirsten and Susie. Our passion is supporting parents and raising not only strong athletes, but extraordinary people. Join us each week as we tackle all topics youth sports, including everything from early specialization and overuse injuries, to helping our kids feel empowered and learn how to advocate for themselves, not only in the classroom and on the court, but at dinner tables and in their communities. We'll be talking to coaches, athletes, parents, and anyone else who will speak to us <laughs> about their experiences with youth sports and their paths to success. And even more importantly, their failures. Yes, we're going to get into the gritty details of what went wrong so that we can all learn from it, teach our kids and ourselves how to do better next time. Because in the words of Maya Angelou, when you know better, you do better. So welcome to Raising Athletes, because we love to win too. Let's do this. Today's guest, Coach Ballgame, I think this interview will be just as interesting for parents who are coaching youth as it is for parents, or if you're just a, a, a youth sports coach. He's giving a lot of insights around how do we connect with kids better. He has the unique ability to rally young players and draw them into the game at a time when most kids are glued to phones and video games. By combining the levity of props, jokes, and mottos with the ideals of what baseball is really about, Coach Ballgame connects with kids to achieve his mission, getting them to love baseball. This year, Coach Ballgame partnered with Major League Baseball to help run play ball camps and College World Series in Omaha and the 2019 MLB All-Star Game in Cleveland. During that time, he had the incredible opportunity to film with some of the current MLB players, including Alex Bregman and Whit Merrifield. Coach Ballgame has been featured on Fox Sports pregame show and for the NLCS and Good Day LA on Fox 11 News. He offers year-round baseball clinics in winter, spring, and summer here in Orange County, California. And he also runs weekly sand, sandlot baseball games where players get to play without the pressures of Little League. We are thrilled to have him on the Raising Athletes podcast today. We really enjoyed li listening and learning from him. We hope you will too. Hello and welcome back. Today on Hashtag Raising Athletes, we are so excited to welcome James Lowe, aka Coach Ballgame, um, but as our guest. But before we, we jump into introducing him, let's, let's tell us a little bit about ourselves. I'm Kirsten Jones, a peak performance and sports parenting coach. My passion is helping others align their mission with their mindset and to get what they want in life. As a former Division I volleyball athlete and a 14-year Nike executive, I've always loved understanding the power of what makes peak performance possible. As a mother of three and someone who's currently in the middle of supporting my oldest son's, oldest child's dream to play sports in college, Susie and I have created this podcast to help others who are trying to raise not only strong athletes, but more importantly, extraordinary people. And I am Susie Walton. I'm the founder of Indigo Village, the mom to four adult sons, and now the grandmother to nine grandkids, all nine and under. I'm a speaker, author, family coach. I've always loved sports. I've been an athlete myself. I'm still playing it's not so much beach volleyball, but I'm bodyboarding and body surfing more than ever. And I just picked up pickleball, which is my new all-time favorite sport, which is crazy. Um, my passion is kids. And one of the best ways I know how to support kids is by supporting their parents and creating the family of their dreams. So welcome, James. We're so excited. You so align with everything we love to talk about. No, that you guys uh, talking about what you do is like, wow, that's me, uh, except I wear a funny hat and I'm, I'm uh, specifically on a baseball field. But I, it, it's great to see uh, all that you've done and your passions are so, uh, I don't know, I just want to uh, gravitate towards it and it inspires me to, to uh, keep going day in, day out, having like-minded folk like you. Uh, uh, spreading the message that, that we both align with, 
I love it. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Actually, let's dive into your mission statement. I love your mission statement. You talk about building character to get kids to love baseball. Let's, and I assume that there's a really good story behind why baseball, what happened for you? Was there someone in your, in your upbringing that, you know, I think we all have a, a great coach story. That's kind of why we got into whatever sport we did, but we would love to hear, and our listeners would love to hear yours. Yep. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's an old story, a common story. It's dad, uh, it's big brothers and it's the backyard. And so growing up in North Carolina, I always get a little emotional when I think about dad and my big brothers and growing up in the backyard playing baseball. We had a good sized yard. My dad built this big green wall that we could throw tennis balls up against. Uh, he built a pitching mound. He had a basketball goal out there. Uh, he just made it our playground. And um, that was just my place. That was my place to go. That's where I learned how to play every sport, uh, specifically baseball. And then as I grew playing multiple sports, I found that true love and what I was best at was the game of baseball. So um, uh, I would say how it all started was, was yeah, big brothers teaching me how to play the game of catch. My dad, uh, you know, t- teaching me how to keep score when we be and um uh, yeah, Doug Lowe, Papa Ball game. He he lives, breathes, eats baseball, and so uh, being more born into that, uh, that that was my first uh, uh, experience with with yeah. I know what I'm going to do with my life. It's going to be baseball. It's going to be sports. It's it. it hopefully, it's going to be playing sports my whole life and playing baseball my whole life, and then. Uh, uh, through college, I learned that I was good, but I was not great. And uh, after four years of college baseball, the writing re- really was on the wall um, in a moment facing Justin Verlander, who's you know going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I was playing against him in college. He's at Old Dominion. I'm at Brown University. And he threw me a, he threw me a fastball that I didn't see, uh, but, I, but I heard, and I think I smelled it. And then he threw me a curveball that made me dry heave. True story. It actually happened. I didn't swing uh, and I didn't throw up, but I did dry heave. And I said, that guy's a major leaguer and I'm not. Um, So that was that. uh, There was the moment uh, early in the backyard where I knew I loved baseball. There was that moment where I knew I was destined to be a coach. And now here we are. at the age of 37, it's now my life, uh, just getting kids to love the game of baseball. Nice. That's awesome. So how did you, how did you do that? Like, what, what was that? Like, how'd you like, okay, I'm going to get a group of people. And like, what was the, the passion behind that? Because there's so many people that have these big dreams and, but then to get it moving, like, what was it? Because, you know, you didn't go into the corporate world. You didn't just go get a job that, you know, guaranteed a salary. You you made things happen. So what was that that allowed that to happen for you? Yeah, it's kind of two-tiered. It, it started right out of college uh, with a friend, a friend who I'd played college baseball with. I'd been in a band with in college uh, at Brown University in Rhode Island. He was a couple years older than me. He'd played two years of pro ball. Uh, and hung up the cleats, and he'd moved to Hermosa Beach, California, to start coaching kids. And I'd never really coached kids. I loved the game. I loved um, entertaining kids. Uh, I uh, always had fun doing that with my nieces and nephews. So on a whim, I drove from uh, Providence to North Carolina, said my goodbyes to my family, and then drove across the country to California. And that was kind of my grad school where um, uh, he, uh, my friend Dan Spring, and he had a a friend from Stanford who had played and then coached Sean Flicky. They were like my grad school professors. And I just kind of watched them uh, teach. They'd been around great teachers uh, who uh, loved positive reinforcement and engaging the kids and making it about the heart uh, as opposed to the actual game first, heart first, person first, then baseball. Uh, And so that was about a 10-year period where 
that was a part-time gig. I waited tables for a decade. I played in 10 different bands. So I really <laughs> used my 20s as, as a figuring it all out. And that's one, one piece of advice I give to every college student I know is use your 20s, wait tables. It's a great job to do. Uh, it teaches you people skills and work ethic. Um, so, you, so you have the days to figure out what you want to do. And so I was able to um, really marry all of those things. And then the second tier was when I got married, uh, when I met Mrs. Ballgame, my wife, Tara Jean. Um, she really gave me that shove that I needed to just make it my own, to really create Coach Ballgame and do this thing by myself. So um, with her push and her shove, uh, I, was, I was comfortable where I was, just kind of being the right-hand man. Uh, but it was time to move uh, forward. And she's she's visual like that. She sees things and uh, she's a risk taker. And I'm more of a live in my comfy area. And she'll, you know, she she shoved me right in. And um, now, you know, I can't I can't be more thankful that I have a job where I can marry everything, the music, the creativity, the improvisation, the writing um, engaging kids, baseball, uh, all of that into one job. And I get to do it every day. So that is yeah. brilliant. But I, so before I can, I know Kristen, she's got a lot of questions here, but this thing is popping up in my head because you went to Brown university. I have a kid that went to Princeton university. Usually when kids go to Ivy league schools, parents expect big things coming out of Ivy league. Not so much like a baseball guy, right? <laughs> Wait, not waiting tables or playing and so I'm asking you this question James because I want parents who are listening to this like what made your parents okay with that were they okay with that and what was it because I want you to send, give this message to parents who have put all their eggs so, sort of in a basket to get their kids best and the brightest and go to the best and brightest school not to say your job isn't like your job's incredible and though there's, I feel like there's a lot of parents who expect a lot more after putting all that money and time into this kid. So what's that message for them? Well, you'll probably make me cry uh, again with, with the mom and the dad. And uh, they're alive and well living in North Carolina. But I think they learned uh, through their life that a job that you dislike is a dead end and it's uh, not a way to live life. So uh, they parented two older brothers. I think they learned, uh, a lot through that. And then, um, yeah, I was, uh, I was the youngest and they, they really pushed me into whatever I love to do. And they were so behind me becoming a professional baseball player. And then they were so behind me having these, these big ideas. They never really pushed me into that well, business economics, uh, degree that I, that I had, they, they wanted me to find what I loved and do that no matter what. And they pushed that into me with every phone conversation we had in college, uh, in my 20s, when I was down, when I was happy. They, they knew early on that I wasn't the nine to five office guy. I had to be outdoors um, and, and really pursuing what I loved or it was gonna tear me down. So, man, I can't, thank them enough. It, it, uh, they, they just got it. They got it. That, that money, that the success, financial success, um, it's nowhere near, um, how happy you'll be if you follow your heart and you, you try to do what you love. So yeah, to all the parents out there, um, I'll give you my mom and dad's number and you can give them a buzz. <laughs> but, uh, I think you're, really, I think you're a good enough example. I don't think they need a number because just seeing you makes people happy. Like you just have that in you. So you can see the results of how you were raised and just who you are. Yes. Yeah. They, they, they saw, I love playing the drums at age three <laughs> and they let me uh, wail on those things, uh, uh, you know, really loud. And I would be in the, in my room at age seven and I'd be listening to a song in my headphones and I'd be playing it on the drums. And then I'd run into the living room. Hey, mom and dad, what song was I playing? And they're like, all we heard was the drums. I'm not real sure. Uh, you know, and they just, 
they let me follow and they really pushed me. They didn't just let me, uh, they, they, they pushed me to, to go after the things I loved. And then, uh, um, that, what are you doing with your Brown degree thing? Never came into play. It never did. Even when I was 30 and I was still uh, doing all kinds of odd jobs. Um, Hmm. maybe they saw it in me. I don't know, but thank God they did. Yeah. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. To talk about love and what you, you are the best legacy for them because what you are doing for kids and for parents is show is modeling doing what you love. Right. And when you do that, and I, some, I'm coaching 10 and 11 year old volleyball right now. And the pressure that these parents feel at eight, nine, 10, and now you're paying all this money for my kid to play club volleyball. So the gate, the, the fun gets sucked out of it and it becomes like, we got to do all these drills. We got to go to this tournament where we're flying here. We're flying there. It's all about the outcomes versus the process. So can you talk about what, you know, how do you, what do you hear from parents and how do you approach, I mean, obviously you approach that through fun and that's, I think, the key, but um, how does that how does that fly with parents these days who are so focused on getting to Brown? Absolutely, it's a big deal, and the 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 parents' minds are on that constantly. And I think that's why that you've seen this move into elite travel teams and um, mini games per weekend, and getting the best equipment and paying the most money to get to the biggest tournaments, and. Uh, that it it always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, a because I didn't grow up that way. I definitely had um, uh, more of a recreational uh, play multiple sports upbringing, and that kind of made me more well rounded as an athlete and a person. Um, but then just all the negative things that came from it, um, and the the way my sandlot was born, and my sandlot is where I just go from town to town, drop bases down, and we play a pressure-free game where we learn the game, we learn how to be a good person, and we have an outrageous amount of fun. Uh, everything kind of stands on those three prongs for me. So the birth of that was when a parent of a five-year-old came to one of my baseball camps and said, we're going to give baseball one last try. And I said, one last try? You mean you, you mean one first try? And they're like, no, we've had uh, some experiences when he was four and five where the, the coaches were, were pushing. Uh, the, the tone was negative. It was a lot about winning. Um, and, and right away, it was just kind of a light bulb set off like, wait, something's going on here. Um, I'm, what I'm doing is, is more important than I thought. And just being able to give that five-year-old a week of fun where uh, you can kind of erase all those bad thoughts, um, it really made me realize two things. One, a lot of kids aren't like me. I, 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 you had to pull me off the baseball field. You had to, uh, you know, mom had to make sure I got in the house for dinner. I wanted to just play at all times. A lot of kids aren't like me. They need to be engaged. They need to be reeled in a little bit. Uh, so that was one thing. And, and I use engagement, entertaining catchphrases, songs, poems, characters, whatever art I can find uh, uh, to tie in pop culture and what they love with the game. That way they, they have more fun. But I also noticed that this win-win at all costs mindset has so many negative connotations to a a child's brain, a child that can't compartmentalize. uh, Okay. This, this coach is yelling at me because he wants me to be a a better person or he, you know, he's coming from a good place. It's just, his tone is off. A kid's not going to realize that. I mean, I, we had, I had a lot of college teammates that didn't even realize that, that the coach meant well, but their tone and uh, you know, the negative, they just feel the negative. They just feel the pushback, the pressure. So for me, it, it made me realize that the wins and the losses and the outcomes comes in like 53rd place. That's where it should come, uh, especially until you get 
on TV. When you get on TV, when you're making the the major league money, yeah, I mean, your your life is on the line and your jobs are on the line. Your your family needs to be have food on the table. So that that means a lot when you're on TV. But prior to that, you're just trying to make them fall in love with the game and make them a better person. So I created this lens that I look through of every time I I'm coaching, am I making that kid a better person? Number one is what I'm saying, my tone, uh, my facial expressions, is it making them a better person? And then two, are they going to come back and play next year? The baseball coach doesn't let him play soccer because he's got to play year round with this team or he's going to get kicked off the team. So that was another punch to the gut of like, I got to do something about this. And then another parent comes to me and a very wise parent who said, you need to start something like a sandlot because my nine-year-old is freaked out by Little League. Uh, It's four practices a week. The coach is yelling, we lost. And the coach uh, literally like cussed at the kids and yelled at the kids. And I'm like, the world's going crazy here. The world's going nuts. So since that moment, we started the sandlot five years ago. I started writing blogs, just kind of pouring out the message of, of, you know, how we should go about this, the lens we should look through, but framing it in a way of, Hey, I was not a good coach early on when I started and I get how tough coaching youth sports is. You're volunteering uh, your time away from your work and you're asked to do something that most of you have never even played, definitely not at a high level. And you're doing it with kids that can be, clingy and needy. And, um, you know, I have two young daughters and I know, (laughs) I I know how patient I have to be at all times to be on point. So, um, it's a really difficult job and I was bad at it at first, but I figured out ways to get better. And, and now more kids are loving baseball. More kids are playing outdoors, uh, less iPads, less depression, less um, uh, isolation, more social. There's just so many things that come out of, uh, one coach making good choices. So with this whole quarantine, are you able to, what, how's that been for you and for the kids? Is it happening? Is it working? Yeah. So, uh, March and April and May were really weird, uh, because I wasn't able to do what I love and do what I do best, which is just, shake kids' hands, look them in the eye, figure out what they love, give them a nickname, um, uh, you know, based on something they love to do, and then just kind of mold these minds on a baseball field or uh, in a PE class. So I had to figure out how to use YouTube Live and Zoom. And, uh, uh, you know, I turned my backyard into a into a baseball facility, basically, and I ran 79 straight live YouTube PE classes. Um, and, uh, you know, with, with all the tricks up my sleeve, music and, uh, writing and improv and characters, uh, it, it came pretty naturally for me. And I was re- actually able to give a lot of parents, um, uh, you know, a chance to take a deep breath and drink a cup of coffee so I could, uh, entertain these kids in front of a screen for an hour. So that's what I did. And it was great because I I had all my Orange County kids. I also go to North Carolina and coach camp. So I had all those kids. But then uh, I was able to reach kids in Canada and Dominican Republic and Saudi Arabia and Ireland. And they're all tuning in um, to some wacky guy, you know, in a funny hat, uh, you know, singing about... um, what your armpits smell like or singing about Roberto Clemente. Uh, so it was pretty fun to, to do that. And then June came around and some, some areas were uh, opening up in our, in our County. So I could still run my summer camps. We lost a lot of uh, clients and, you know, uh, obviously so, but uh, we were able to go by the guidelines and keep them separated and wear the masks and check the temperatures. And um, uh, up until now, I've I've actually gotten more kids, uh, new kids to to show up because in Orange County, a lot of parents are ready to get going. They're ready to get their kids outside. And 
And so now I'm, I'm up and running in person, hundred okay. percent. Yay. No, no more zoom. No, not, not at the moment. No, no zoom. Um, I think people really got tired of zoom around July. Uh, I noticed that, uh, and, uh, the kids, they'd been in zoom school for three, four months. They didn't want more virtual classes and virtual things of that nature. So thankfully, um, Orange County started opening up a bit and hopefully it, it keeps trending in the right direction. I think one of your superpowers, when we were growing up, you were to be quiet and be talked to and you'd go to a camp and the coach would yell at you and you would sit there and probably listen to a third of what they had to say. But one of your superpowers is engaging the kids and getting them. And, you know, that's what Susie and I talk a lot about. And just in parenting, right, is we talk at our kids and we tell them what they should think versus asking them what they think. And so I love your attaboy challenge, which, you know, is pretty basic. But at the same time, they're driving the process, right? That's brilliant. And it allows them to take ownership of it. Can you tell the parents about that? Yep. Well, uh, one of the one of the best pieces of advice I ever got, um, it was from an acting teacher in college. And then I got it from a really good coach who coached kids for years. Um, it was one word, listen, listen. And I, uh, when you start out as a coach, as a parent, as a, a husband, uh, you, you know, you really want to, okay, uh, uh, I'm supposed that third to one's a funny one. Can you imagine saying to your wife, listen? Yeah, right. Exactly. So now, you know, now I got a wife and two daughters, so I'm really learning how to listen. Um, <laughs> but it, it, when it comes to coaching kids, it's vital. Um, if you're just playing your song for them without engaging or, or uh, meeting them on their own playing field, then it's a lost cause. And, um, you know, the, the, uh, you lose the room. So I, the first thing I do is, is, uh, is I meet them and I, I tell them, Hey, I'm coach ball game. I got that nickname because my favorite thing to do is coach baseball. My second favorite thing to do is play the drums while I'm eating spaghetti and meatballs. And that gets them laughing. They, they feel safe. And then I ask them, okay, what do you love to do? Let's get a nickname based on that. And I mean, that is boom. That's listening. One Oh one, you, you found out what they love. And you give them this superhero kind of vibe with a nickname uh, like Disneyland or Raising Arizona or Eternal Desert Boy. Final final four in there, too. Like Final four. He loved him some college basketball, (laughs) you know. So um, just being able to listen to each kid is huge. And I'm learning how to do that as a a dad, too. I, I feel like it's harder for me to, to take what I do on the field and bring it into the house just because they're my own daughters. They're my own kids. And when I have my daughters come to a camp and I've got 50 kids in a team meeting pose and they're giving me uncomfortable eye contact and they're listening, there's my daughter and she's not, she's, she's the one that's running around or or not listening. And so there's a different, um, dynamic there for sure. But yeah, I, uh, as far as the attaboy challenge goes, just a product of listening. Um, a kid hit a line drive to the shortstop, shortstop caught it. So you got a great pitch, you got a great hit, you got a great play, but one person is sad, the hitter, right? Well, the hitter, after they, uh, uh, line out and they're jogging back to the dugout, he says, at a boy shortstop. And the shortstop yells back to the hitter at a boy. And like you said, as basic as it gets, but that's what kids are. They're basic. And they, they really are fueled by, by basic things done well. <laughs> and so I said, they just said, attaboy back and forth. Let's make it a contest because kids love contests. And so we brought them face to face. I'm always big on uncomfortable eye contact. Um, and uh, they just started saying attaboy and they got louder and they got louder and they got louder. And then it culminates into this uh, countdown, three, two, one, and they scream it at the same time. Boom. Uh, Who won? And you got the kids pointing and laughing. And it was a moment, you know, I have moments like that every couple of years where it's like, 
this is a moment where I looked at all the kids' faces. It was the happiest they've been at the whole baseball camp. Not when I was teaching ground balls, not when I was throwing pitches. And that started, that started me on this train of, um, of big picture thinking like, uh, I didn't learn a lot of these skills until I was 19. So them learning this particular skill about pitching or hitting or fielding, um, it is nowhere near, uh, where engaging them and having them smile and having them look at a baseball field and say, wow, that place is like a birthday party. I want to go back to that place. Um, way more important, especially at the younger age. And I found a little niche where there wasn't a lot of people working with four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds. And this is the first time they've ever been on a baseball field. So um, that first impression you give, it's so important and bad pictures get painted so quickly. And and it's like uh, one beautiful uh pretty picture of baseball, like an attaboy challenge, you need like 50 of those to erase that one bad picture they had. So, um, you really gotta go head first into this, uh, into this mindset. Uh, otherwise they're gone, they're gone quick. They're not going to come back and they'll try something else. And before long, they won't try sports anymore. They'll try something safe, like a video game or an iPad. And, uh, and, and you lost them. So, uh, very important stuff. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so every once in a while we have what we call that late bloomer. I don't know if you know that book, Leo, the late bloomer. I do. But, um, I do. And I only know basketball. So I only know the story of Michael Jordan, not starting on his what, sophomore year. He was like, got kicked off a of JV or something crazy. Didn't make the but, team. What? Yeah. He didn't make yeah, the team. Yeah, right. I think, I think he got cut. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the basketball world, but in baseball world, um, Daniel they, Nava. Daniel Nava, yes. Yeah. Tell us a story oh, yeah. about a baseball player. So, uh, uh, you know, one one of the things I learned for, in my grad school, watching other great coaches coach, is that uh, uh, one of the kids' favorite moments of camp is story time and uh, telling stories uh, and and being a good storyteller. And um, uh, my uh, coach Flicky, the guy that really taught me a lot about coaching, he said, make sure you look at the kids in the eyes when you're telling the story. Um, so I, I tell the Daniel Nava story and I look them in the eyes every week. It's usually a Wednesday story right in the middle of the week. Uh, but story time is huge because that's really where you build the character um, uh, is through stories like Roberto Clemente and being kind and uh, Jim Abbott, the one-armed pitcher who never gave up. And then Daniel Nava is my favorite story to tell because um, he, he was half the size of everybody else all the way into college. Uh, but he loved baseball so much that he asked the coach if he could be the team mascot and the team manager. And could he fill up the water coolers um, in exchange for being able to practice with the team, couldn't get a uniform, couldn't play. And then he hits a growth spurt and he becomes the best player at Santa Clara university. Mm -hmm. uh, funny enough, I got to play against him. Brown flew to California and we played Santa Clara where he had like eight hits in two games against us. Uh, he was just amazing. Later I found out he was cleaning toilets the year before and wearing the team mascot uniform. Uh, and then he works his way up the Boston Red Sox organization and hits a grand slam on the first pitch he ever sees in major league baseball at Fenway park on national television in front of 50,000 people. And it's like, nah, none of that's true, but it's all true. And it's all great. And, uh, now the kids have a story. They can go home and tell their parents and then they get to go, uh, YouTube Daniel Nava or Google Daniel Nava. And now you've brought it home. And that's where story time really gets, um, important because they bring that stuff home. I'll give homework. I'll say, Hey, go watch a video on Daniel Nava, go uh, print out some information about Roberto Clemente and bring it in. And before long, you've got the parents learning about these players as well. They're spending more time together uh, as a family. They're polishing off old baseball cards in the basement and you've brought you brought it home. You, 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 you've done, I think what's most important is, uh, 
you've taken it into the community and the family. And, and that's where, that's where it's a no brainer for me to have this job, like the impact it has on herds of people. Um, especially when you don't even think the kid's listening. I have a lot of kids that they, they, they're playing in the grass during the story. And, uh, and then the next day they're wearing a Roberto Clemente uniform and they've got a paper, uh, mache replica of, uh, Pittsburgh field <laughs> or something like that. And you're like, wow, they listen to a lot more than I thought. So oh, yeah. I'm going to break in for a second because for you parents that are listening to that in parenting, I, I, I share with parents, there's three styles of learning, auditory, visual, and kinesthetic. So what James is talking about right here is that kinesthetic learner. And those are the kids that don't sit still, but because they need to move to process. And so exactly what you're saying, you, you know, they heard everything because they were moving the whole time. And I know for some parents, they get crazy about this and they're, they're wanting to make them sit still and focus. And you're like, if you do that to a kinesthetic kid, they're not going to learn anything. It's true. So a little side note for those parents out here listening. Like, that's my kid. Like, yeah, that's, you know, those kids make great athletes. Because yep. they're they're the movers, right? And, and that's and how it's different. A, mm-hmm. And on a coaching standpoint, you know, I'll coach fifty kids, and I'll have all three different learning types and and more. That's where I have to bring in a new coach and make sure there's a one on one if need be. Those are very important because I can't myself. Uh, I can't I can't hit it all. But if I've got a one on one or some, you know, somebody that that cares about kids and can. Um, kind of uh, mold what I'm teaching uh, the way they need to be taught. Thumbs up. So for all the coaches out there, uh, ask as many parents as you can to come and just and just be there as a one-on-one when need be. Yeah, great. I love your Daniel Nava story because I totally believe in late bloomers, and you know, sorry to your gender, but the men's frontal lobe doesn't close until age 25, right? But we go send kids off to college and at 18, you're supposed to pick your major and figure out what you want to do with the rest of your life. Where a lot of people do these wayfinding paths, exactly what you talked about, which is what makes A, life interesting and B, get you to your passion in life. So maybe we could bring it full circle and you're working with parents of young kids who we have no idea what they're going to be we start putting limitations on, well, you're too small. Well, you're too this. Well, you're too that. You're, you're not enough of this. And then that becomes the limiting belief that we carry through life. Uh, and, and we grow a foot in college. And gosh, I really love baseball. But you know, my parents told me I was too short, so I just never pursued it, right? So what advice would you give to parents listening right now when you're on the front end of it? Maybe even have a 10, 12, 15, you know, 13-year-old about how to support them in the journey. What are the most important things to be focused on right now? Absolutely. Well, it's again, it's the lens that that I look through when I coach. And now that I'm a parent of a, a girl that does gymnastics and soccer, um, I I let off the gas almost to a, a, a standstill. And uh, I learned it from my dad who uh, kept score behind the left field fence. And that was as close as he came to the game. And the only thing I ever heard from him was positive things uh, during practice, during games. It was nurturing. Uh, it was loving. But he got it because he played baseball at a high level as well. Uh, when um, kids, uh, they take on the the persona of, of what their parents tell them, you know, uh, about them. So, you know, if, if I tell my daughter, um you're being lazy. Well, then she completely puts on this persona. I'm a lazy person. She takes it as creed. And a lot of times she won't even do anything about it, uh, you know, in a positive way. So, uh, throwing, throwing the good, just laying it on thick, all the positive things that happen. Um, I, I would say that's number one, it, it just, just taking the foot off the gas and positivity, 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 especially in a game, because a kid's not going to perform well, when there's pressure because that that turns into fear and now you're playing with fear so you're gonna perform bad and you're not gonna have any fun which um makes me nauseous you know and and, uh so uh and and big picture of that is when you add those when you add those days together that turns into a great athlete that's burnout mentally and won't pursue it in college they were asked to be a 
a professional when they were seven uh, with all the pressures. And then uh, when they get to college, they're done because they want to be a kid. So they give up on sports. I've seen it with my best friends. Uh, so uh, getting that distance, getting as far away as you can from it. Um, and then if, if you do, God bless you, want to coach uh, as a parent, uh, again, just look through that lens of, am I making each person a better person? And are they going to come back next year? Uh, because the Daniel Navas of the world would not have kept trying to learn how to switch hit and, and strengthen themselves when they're, they're being told no over and over and over and over again. Uh, they'll just get beat down and, and, and quit. So, um, yeah, all that to say, most importantly, take the foot off the gas uh, and 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 I don't want to sound like because I don't approach coaching as boy he's just he lets them just have a great time and they're running wild. I have high expectations on character, on paying attention, on on the controllables, on the choices that they make, on the uncomfortable eye contact, and the down and ready position. And that's why I'm always awarding those kids that have. Uh, great energy. They chose to have that energy, great down and ready position, great hustle. Uh, they're being kind. Um, uh, those I always award at the end of the day, uh, because those are the controllables. So high expectations on that, but low on, on performance on, on winning. Uh, I mean, who, yeah. Yeah. And, and for the parents, I, I, who cares if you win when you're nine, uh, there's no scouts in the stands. There's no college uh, coaches. You're not getting recruited. And uh, there's just the, the negatives outweigh the positives by so much when you're focused on that win, 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 win at all costs. So uh, put the put the expectations high on character, uh, low on on everything else. And let's just see where where you get. I think it'll be where Daniel Nava got and uh, and a lot of others. It really sounds like what you're saying is like, you know, as long as the kids have that love for the game, they're going to keep going. They're not going to be the kids that are burning out at age 13 or 14 and say, I'm done, which, as you know, and I know, and we all know that that happens all the time. And it's because they've lost the love. And so you're doing an amazing job with these kids on how to keep the love in them and work hard and then decide what they want to do with it. Like you were going to be a professional baseball player. And you're coaching kids, which is probably more important <laughs> what you're doing now than what you were going to be doing. But, you know, exactly. on both ends of the stick, so to speak. But, you know, but it was that love of the game. It came from my mom and dad who just smiled uh, when I went over five and uh, and smiled when I went five for five without that that feeling of, man, I'm going to get in trouble if I don't get a hit right now or if I don't make this free throw, my mom and dad's going to yell at me. And, and it, it, it really is a skill you have to be taught even from the bleachers. I had a, I have a podcast as well. And I talked to a coach that had been coaching martial arts and baseball for 50 years. And I asked him what's with the switch parents tend to be pretty calm and just chat with each other during practices, but then you get in a game and the coaches are yelling from the dugout, very negative tone. The parents might not realize it, but they're yelling from the bleachers, negative tone. Um, it's just, it, it has this anxiety. Uh, and I saw it when I was doing lessons and a kid, uh, the practice version of the kid, when nobody was around, just strike, strike, strike. But then you get into the game and you hear so many loud, anxious voices yelling what they might think is positive. Like, come on, do you can do this. Do it, do it, do it. throw a strike. But that has so many negative connotations to it. Like, I'm trying to throw a strike. I'm trying to make the shot. But you yelling at me, reminding me of that makes me think that I'm bad. Um, so uh, just so I asked him, what's with the switch? And he said, um, you, you just had a baby. And, and that's a high leverage situation. Uh, did you feel comfortable? I was like, no, a high leverage situation where I'm not accustomed to it. I, 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 I've never had a, you know, I've never had a wife that had a baby before. So I was anxious. My heart was beating in that high leverage situation. And I wanted to yell. I wanted to do that. 
that's what parents do during games. That that there's a high leverage situation. It's multiplied by a million because it's their own child. They want them to do so well. They yell, and that's where you don't see somebody who won an Olympic medal. They're not yelling in the middle of a game at their child. Uh, somebody who played professional volleyball, uh, they get it. They they get the repercussions of of even screaming. Uh, something positive uh, in the middle of a high leverage situation, how detrimental that can be to a kid's brain. So it's really just picking the brains of people that have been there, done that at a high level. Um, but don't then, you think in general, James, that at least I, what I found in the world of athlete, athletes, the, parent, the kids who have parents that did play professionally or Olympians, they not always, but majority that they sit back like, my kid's dad, who's a Hall of Famer and blah, 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 he'd go to games with a newspaper. Yep. You know, people are like, but, you know, he was there to be with his kids. And, you know, in timeouts, he'd read a paper. He wouldn't like. No, my dad, I mean, my, on the Brown University baseball team, my dad was everybody's favorite uh, patron <laughs> because he would sit a long way away in a Hawaiian shirt and a lawn chair uh, <laughs> with a six pack of wild cherry Pepsi. And all he would say is funny things and yell positive things. And if we messed up, he'd say, well, get him next time. You know, that was just his vibe his whole life. And I saw the joy that it had on all of my teammates. And then they performed better because there's old Doug up there. He doesn't care if I mess up. And uh, so, yeah, uh, that that really and we're not and I don't think we're trying to say every parent needs to be a professional athlete to be a good parent no but what is what I can see though of what you're saying is like just I remember like so often parents I find they live they're living their own dream through their kid now you know so they want that for that kid they want what they didn't have that's and right have, and they, they don't even realize them. yeah they uh, a lot of times you don't realize you're doing it uh, but there's a chip on your shoulder and you want to make a difference you just want to make uh, a difference you want to be you want to be the dad that can throw a baseball every day to your kid because you never had it and then you exactly. have this kid that doesn't have anything doesn't even like baseball and then your dad's like god you're such a like you have no idea what you're missing out on the kid's like probably thinking well yeah i don't know i don't i don't like baseball yeah so it's like the, living vicariously through them so maybe so you parents listening, just don't just stop. <laughs> to look at it through your child's eyes too, right? I mean, my son came home from a sh uh, being in front of college coaches the one day and he said, oh, I feel so sorry for my, my best friend, Joe. And I said, why? And he goes, because he literally ran to me when the day, when the day ended, he had played so bad. He said, would you please walk out to the car with me? And, and my son's like, why? He goes, well, I know my dad's going to yell at me the whole way home, but at least I just want five more minutes where he's not yelling at me. And it was like, I mean, that just breaks your heart to think that his whole strategy was to try to avoid the pain versus, oh, you had a bad day. Oh, well, tomorrow there's a new day, right? No, I, I heard a great um, kind of uh, connection to that. Okay, let's say that dad did the same thing, sat right beside that kid during a video game and uh, uh, to, uh, kind of stopped him every time he made a mistake. And and said, "What? Why'd you make that move? Why'd you push that button? Why'd you Why'd you do that?" So that kid's not going to play video games much longer. So uh, you know, like, uh, why? <laughs> Which is not that, a bad that, idea. That was a great visual <laughs> to see. Like, yeah. So it might be a good way to be a good way to get off the video, video game. game. Parents, do that instead. Go sit with them in front of a screen. <laughs> exactly. So there you go. There you go. Why Why did you click that button? And, um, and then flip it. So yeah. Good. Well, this is so much fun, James, and we're way over time, but it's just been so much fun. We're just allowing. Let's just go with this, right? But maybe we sure. can end with one last question that we like to ask all of our guests, and I'll, we always get great responses, and I'm sure you'll have a good one as well. But how would you finish this sentence? The best athletes I know do this. Yeah, best athletes I know, they turn the page quickly. Um, they turn the page really quick uh, when they do something uh, great and especially when they do something bad. Um, baseball's got a lot of failure. So I can speak very specifically to baseball, seven out of 10 times, you're gonna fail uh, and, and be in the hall of fame. So um, 
being able to turn the page quickly and realizing there are so many other facets of beating the other team and, and helping your team win, you know, go, for, go over 25, but make a diving catch and your team wins the game. Um, got to be able to turn the page quick because when I had teammates that would, would kind of, uh, they wouldn't tell me that they wouldn't say, Hey, I'm going to turn the page here. But when, when, when you lead by example, and they would show me how quickly they could turn the page and turn a negative into a positive, um, I, I didn't feel sorry for them. So that was one thing. And it really taught me to put the team above myself. So, um, I think that's just a great quality to have being able to, um, you know, yeah, not laugh it off, but but yeah, learn from the failure and and you know again that comes from the parents kind of instilling that in that every failure is a blessing. Uh, embrace it uh, because that's where you learn stuff. I, I didn't learn anything by going six for six with four home runs. Uh, it was a fun night, but uh, I learned a lot more uh, going zero for twenty five with ten strikeouts um, uh, and and figuring out how to how to do what I think great teammates do, which is turn the page. That's awesome. I love that. Good, good, good. Thank you. Oh man. Thank you. This was really fun. Yeah. So how, <laughs> how can our listeners find you? What can you give us your handles and stuff? So everybody can go find your, your, everybody needs to watch the videos. Every parent will appreciate his videos. So, yep. So coach ball game, uh, and you got coachballgame.com, and you got, uh, all the social medias, Coach Ballgame Facebook, at Coach Ballgame Instagram, Twitter, YouTube is where my long form videos are. Um, I, I, I use uh, the different forums in different ways, like, uh, you know, a, a nice long video I'll put on YouTube, maybe a shorter video on Instagram. Um, uh, and yeah, it's all at Coach Ballgame, but I try to do something daily. Um, just to give resources because I know how hard coaching can be and parenting can be. And so, um, I I'll always try to keep everything very positive. Uh, there uh, on Instagram, there's a lot of dancing because kids love dancing and music and, and, um, on, uh, YouTube, uh, there's some of my, uh, connections with major league baseball and interviewing major league players and coaches and broadcasters. Uh, but yeah, coach ball game. You'll find it everywhere. Thank you. Thank you oh, so yeah. much. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Good fun. You guys are awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep, uh, keep at it. Thank you. And parents who you're, you know, we're also getting, trying to get better every day. So any chance you can give us feedback, leave us messages, reach out to us, DM us. Um, if you have topics you want to cover, we're always open um, to learning and our goal is to support parents in raising not only strong athletes but extraordinary people who are trying new things failing forward daily getting up and doing it all over again let's do this let's do it <laughs> <laughs>